Hey, my name is Akash Thakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're going to interview everyone from plugin makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between, and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the worlds of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the worlds of music and sound, and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. My guest today is Anne-Sophie Mongeau. Anne-Sophie is a sound designer based in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and she's worked on projects such as Shadow of the Tomb Raider and It Takes Two and is currently back at Eidos Montreal as a lead sound designer. In this episode, we talk about her growth as a sound designer, her leaving Eidos Montreal to go work in Sweden, and what it's like to return to Eidos many years later to work on a new project. We also cover what new sound designers should be focusing on to grow in their careers and much, much more. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Anne-Sophie Mongeau. So I want to hear about your trek back to Montreal from Sweden, because you went from Montreal to Sweden to Montreal again. And I'm curious about the different mindsets, skills, ideas, whatever it is that's different now, now that you're back, because you're in the same company but you're a different person. You've probably upgraded yourself. So I'm curious what you're bringing back now. You know, I'm bringing back a lot, I feel like, because, well, you said it, right? It's same place, but different person, different mindsets, lots of experience in between. I do not feel like I've come back to the same place at all. Come back to the same studio in name, you know, it's Eidos Montreal, it's the same, but it's a different team, it's a different project, a different role different responsibilities, different uh, vision, uh, different ambition. You know, when I was first at Eidos Montreal working on Shadow of the Tomb Raider, I was on my first sort of in-house AAA game, working uh, with an amazing team, but learning a lot from how they were doing it and just kind of absorbing like a sponge, like, you know, okay, I will just copy what's around me, uh, learn a lot from how others are doing it, basically. And from that and the experiences I've had in between, I'm in a different place now where I can more confidently say, this is how I would like to do things and this is how I would like to work as a team. And this is the kind of ambitions that I have on a creative level and also on a technical level and with the kind of tools and pipelines that I want the team to be working with. I mean, it's 2022 and, you know, when we're shipping, I can't say anything about when we're shipping, but it's going to be in a while. And um, you have to be up there with the, the other, you know, next gen releases that's, that are going to be shipped at the time. And you have to think ahead in the future. So you can't really rely on, you know, how things were done five years ago. You have to think about how things will be done in five years, you know, and, and how you can be still cutting edge, even if you've not reached that time yet. So it's about that kind of mindset, I would say. Mm -hmm. And you were a sound designer at Eidos Montreal before, and now you're a lead sound designer. So I'm curious, what kind of responsibilities or differences are there now? Yeah, I mean, of course, uh, as the title says, uh, the lead responsibility is a, is a lot about leading your team. You're responsible for a team, for people. Right now, there is four of us in the audio team. I have an audio director, uh, Rodrigo, working with me. And we also just hired a technical sound designer and a senior sound designer. 
So that's like the four of us are like the sort of core audio team and the team will grow over the next couple of years. So, you know, the role of the lead will grow with the team and what it means to be a lead. So uh, I'm happy to start a little bit smooth and uh, grow into this role myself. It's about working with uh, Rodrigo, my director, on like what is our creative vision and ambition and what are we trying to achieve in relation with what the, the game is and what the game design and the game's creative vision is. But also, how do we want our team to, to work? How uh, enabled we want them to be? You know, I've worked with lots of different tools, different audio engines, different game engines, different pipelines, and it has such a great impact on the work that we produce, how we do it and the tools we use. And if you work with archaic tools, you're going to create an archaic sounding game. Maybe, you know, not such a black and white kind of one-to-one -one ratio there, but still, you know, I want us to be enabled to, to create great things. And that's part of the ambition, I think, and the responsibilities uh, of a lead. Mm -hmm. And what do you think, as you're kind of in this new role, what do you feel a good lead or a good sound designer is supposed to be? Hmm. Well, that's, I think, a question that I'm trying to answer, you know, in my new role that I will be answering over time, I think, as I learn and grow into this, this new responsibility. But I think for me, I don't know if it's wishful thinking or naive or if I'm right about this. So time will tell. But I'm hoping that being a lead sound designer means that I can still continue to explore the creative aspects of sound design. So not just be a manager. You know, the game audio industry is a very creative one. We are creators and even us leads and managers and directors, we are creators. So I think people would relate to this, people who are in managing positions, that they will know what I'm talking about, that it's hard to get away from the, the creator's responsibilities. So I don't want to get away from them. <laughs> so I'm hoping I can maintain those and uh, at the same time lead my team. So what does it mean to be a good lead and a good sound designer? I think making sure that your team is healthy on various levels, mentally and creatively and technically and the relationships within the team, you know, uh, that kind of thing. It's such a complicated question that has so many answers that, you know, people write books about this and I have so much to learn, <laughs> you know, but I guess that's about balancing the sort of management and creative parts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because especially as you well know, partway through, maybe halfway through a game development project, there's this kind of dip that happens where people still need to be working on stuff. The game's not really done yet. Maybe it's not even fun at that point. And it's kind of a slog partway through. You're just making stuff, trying to get it better, trying to get it on a good schedule and all that. So how do you kind of get through those parts of the process where there is that kind of slog? Well, I think that if you're in a place where you've already put a lot of effort into creating the tools and the, the way that you work so that, you know, everyone is, uh, even though the game's direction may be a little bit in different places and people are figuring out what works and what doesn't work, you know how to do your work, you know, that you still know, you know, the iteration process is easy. There's nothing that's sort of an obstacle to creativity other than just, you know, trying stuff out and perhaps seeing your stuff being uh, removed or changed because the game is changing. That's always going to be an obstacle. But if that's the only one, then we're in a good place, you know. For me, I've, I've always felt like the sort of mid-development is actually pretty fun because then, you know, 
you have all your, your sort of technical uh, requirements squared. And I mean, there's always new stuff and there's always new things to fix and there's always new things to improve. That's that's never going to end, really. But at least when you're a place when you've got like the train is rolling, you know, and uh, I think that's that's the most important part. That's like in the middle when you're not exactly sure how things are going to go, that uh, you have some foundation to rely on that you can at least, you know, say, OK, we're going to do what we know how to do and keep in mind our ambition and our vision and and whatever happens with the game we we know what we have to do kind of thing and are there questions that you always ask or like to ask at the start of a project like what sorts of like to the creative director or audio director what sorts of questions are you asking it's it's very two-sided i feel like it's not just questions from me to them it, it's a discussion at the beginning of the project i think it, it must very well depend on the team and the project you work on but i've had good experiences and and this new project is a very good experience i would say where people like to share and people like to make it a discussion it's not really about imposing anything on anyone or about saying how you know this is how it's going to be it's more like here are our ideas and our inspiration and how can we inspire each other so at this point, you know, it's about one one thing that I like to get out of the way is to talk to the art director, for example, and uh, game directors and tell them we want in the audio team to inspire the others. We don't only want to be a support team. You know, we don't only want to be uh, creating uh, sounds for things that are already in game and functional or, you know, that have already had a pass on the visuals or, you know, we want to do our own sort of concepts, exploration, experimentation and share that with you guys. And this can be a two-sided process where we can inspire each other and has, doesn't have to be one way. And I think that's one of the first thing that I like to clear up at the very beginning that audio doesn't have to come last. And we are not just a support team and it can be collaboration there. But I think that it's becoming less and less of an obstacle to do that. Like more and more, like I feel like the teams have an understanding that there is a lot of benefit to having the kind of a workflow with the audio teams that, that's very beneficial to the project overall. Mm -hmm. and you've worked on a bunch of different audio teams and you seem really good at generating opportunity for yourself, like career opportunity and making sure you have lots of good stuff coming in and rightfully so you're super good. So it's great. How do you make those opportunities come in for you? How do you make it so that people know you people want to hire you people know you exist? Well, that's a really good question. And I think that to answer that one, I'm going to want to emphasize on the importance of the connections that exist in the game audio industry. And I mean that in a very human way, not in a corporate way, you know, like people talk a lot about networking, like it's a word that's being thrown around, like it's a task, it's something you have to do, it's something you have to be good at, it's something you have to practice and get done in order to to have a job eventually. And I remember when I was a student with no real connection and no no people that I knew in the industry and people were telling me, oh, you have to network. And I was thinking, okay, I'll network. How do I do it? You know, <laughs> tell me what to do. I don't know what that means. Like, <laughs> do I have to make business cards or like, how, how does it work? And I remember attending like game conferences and not knowing anyone and going down to network, you know, and be like, uh, super awkward like you know I don't really know like what to say but th that all changed really when I, I actually attended a game audio conference so not a game development conference game audio and I was there when I already had a job so I was not actually there to network you know and potentially get a job 
I was there, you know, because I had the opportunity to go and to to learn from the presentations, from the talks, and I just wanted to go to have a good time, you know, and then I could meet like-minded people and have great conversations, and that's exactly what I did. I went there and had a great time, and I genuinely made friends, people that I still know today, you know. We talked about many things, some things game audio related, some things not at all. And like, you know, that's kind of how it should be, I feel like. So creating those kind of connections, not thinking about networking, but thinking about just getting to know the people who are doing the same thing as you, uh, because surely you have some stuff in common that you can talk about and connect on. And then there's like a this two-sided thing in the industry where it's like, it is very true that people get jobs out of recommendations and connections. And... It's both good and bad, you know, it's good because, well, there is a network of, of connections and of people who who trust each other and rely on each other and, and support each other and have each other's backs, you know, and the kind of thing. That's a good thing. It also means that it makes it hard for people who are not in this sort of uh, network of connections to get into it. But that's that's where it comes in, you know, this sort of just go and make friends kind of thing. And And for me, that's what... To get back to your question, all of this really came into play for me to get those opportunities. Like, I don't think there's one single opportunity or, or job or thing that I did that is not related to my connections to the industry somehow, to the people. It all started, you know, back when I was studying during my undergrad. I was uh, doing this course, uh, Sound Design for Games, and I had two teachers. And they had just started their outsourcing company, Vibe Avenue. It's still ongoing today. They're doing really well. Lots of projects, but back in the days, they were just getting started. And uh, I was having a great time in their course, uh, doing uh, really good work. So, you know, it started with that relationship that became one of, of like trust. And, uh, you know, they brought me on to some other projects. And later on, when I worked in a different studio, I outsourced some stuff to them, you know. <laughs> and it started there. And then from then on, you know, it was just more of those examples. The job I got even at Eidos Montreal the first time, I was working in Ireland at the time and I got in my mailbox at some point a message from Rob, from Rob Bridget, who was audio director on the, t on the team at the time, asking me, you know, if I was interested. And that directly came from a mix of someone I knew in the team who I had worked with in Vibe Avenue some years before. And the fact that Rob knew me and my name through social media and the, the involvement that I had in the community through like my blog and a sound effect and audio kinetic and other writings that I had. So, I mean, that's just one example, but it's really for me, it's about reaching out to the people in the industry, creating those connections, not being scared of being yourself as well, you know, not not being so corporate, not being so like, hi, I am, you know, your name and then and I'm make sound design and I compose music, here's my business card. It's more it's more like, hey, you know, how was your weekend? <laughs> to put it very like very concretely. Mm -hmm. And for those people who are just starting out, getting into game audio, getting into sound design, there's so many little touch points, you know, they could say, oh, I'm going to start a social media or oh, I'm going to go to every conference or things like that. What would you recommend they do so they don't, you know, go down the rabbit hole of trying to do everything when they're just first trying to get in, first trying to make friends and talk to people? You know, like, what is it that you like to do? Are you a sound designer and you have this one thing that you're pretty passionate about? Are you a field recordist? Are you a composer? Are you really into modular synthesizers? Are you, what kind of games do you like? You know, focus on this one things that really make you passionate about being in the industry. And you go there with that in mind and find people who, who share those, those things. 
and start talking about it. You know, it's like create connections based on things that you enjoy. I think it's the trick and not, not try to create connections out of, out of nothing, out of things that, you know, don't matter to you because those will probably not remain meaningful connections. So it's a lot about, you know, the same way that you, you know, go to a party and then a friend introduces you to one of their friends and you connect because you have lots of stuff in common and then they become your friend. It's like the same thing when you go to game audio events and try to connect with the people you have stuff in common and, you know, you will remain in contact for sure. Yeah. And from a skill point of view, how do you recommend people practice or listen when it comes to sound design? Because it's such an amorphous blob of skill. No one really knows how to work it to get better. Yeah. I mean, the very easy way to do it, the most straightforward way to do it, do sound redesign, you know, take videos out of the internet, trailers or gameplay videos, remove all the sound that's existing and redo it from scratch 100%. And that's good practice. And the ones that you're the most proud of, it doesn't have to be all of them. And you don't have to make all of these sound design exercises with in mind that you're going to share them. Most of them can be just for you, for your own practice. But the ones that you're really proud of, use them for your portfolio, uh, share them around, you know, create your platform where it's easy for you to share stuff. It can be a website or, you know, whatever works, YouTube channel, you know, whatever works. But as long as you, it's easy for you to send your work out there and say, listen to my stuff. And then there are these places in the community, you know. I mean, on LinkedIn, I also always see those kinds of things go through my feed. People are just saying like, oh, I did this sound redesign. And then they have a bunch of comments and, and feedback and stuff. That's just one example. You know, it's, there can be so many ways to do it, but just do it. It's like practice. You want to be good at sound design and sound design, you know, take videos, do whatever you, you have to. It can be just even a picture. Why not? Like, it's a good exercise. You know, you, you see a picture that inspires you, put it up on like somewhere on, on your, on your monitor screen and just go nuts, you know, do whatever you want. Or you have this one new plugin that you just bought. Okay, give yourself a challenge, you know, sound design using it on every track. <laughs> this is insane. And I would not recommend it, you know, doing this on a real project, but it's a good exercise to really get through, you know, the plugin and how it works and get to know your tools and discover new tricks. Uh, but also, I think, learn from others, you know, there's always something that someone would have thought about doing differently than you. And people are sharing those things, you know, go on YouTube, talk to people, attend presentations. There's always going to be this one new tip and trick that you didn't know about that you're going to learn. Awesome. And you mentioned this human element earlier, and I'm sure at this point now that you're super, super advanced, you never feel imposter syndrome or anything anymore, right? It's completely gone, right? right? <laughs> Everyone does, no matter how advanced. Yeah. So how do you deal with it? When does it sort of come up? How do you get through it? Yeah. So especially, you know, right now as the, like, I'm just newly in this, in this lead role. And of course I'm questioning, you know, oh my God, you know, this, these other people that were in these positions before me, uh, did it this way. Will I do it this way just to copy them or because I have a real conviction about this or what do I have a conviction about? You know, it's all, it's all things that, you know, you need to figure out. They don't have one secret magic recipe to, <laughs> to tell you how to <laughs> overcome the imposter syndrome. I wish I did, but. I like to bring it back to simple things, you know, like go back to what is your vision? What are you trying to achieve? Not what are other people doing and how they're doing it and how should I compete with that or improve that or do similar as them? More like, what am I trying to do? You know, these are my ideas about this project and 
trying to answer the, the question, how am I going to do it? You're sort of instinctively going to go back to your own experience and what you've learned in the last, you know, years and, and during your career. And you're going to find those answers, like maybe not straight away, but, you know, that's kind of the thing is like through your your experiences, hopefully you've kind of learned how to teach yourself or how to learn new things. And so it's not that all of the answers lie somewhere in your brain magically, but it's more like, okay, I want to do this. I know about this part. This part is a little bit more unclear to me, uh, but at least I know how to identify what is unclear and, and you know, n narrow down what are the um, places where I'm, that I'm more insecure about and, and how can I make them more secure. So so go back to basics and try to tackle those those obstacles one at a time, you know. And what sorts of non-sound design, non-music, non-audio things give you the same sort of spark or curiosity as sound design does? Well, actually, funny you ask, because I was just in New York this weekend for Easter, you know, <laughs> classic uh Easter vacation here on the on the East Coast, I guess a trip to New York is pretty usual. But yeah, I, w I was in New York and I was attending these audiovisual immersive experiences and uh, it was super inspiring. And I like to explore all of that. I mean, you just said non-sound, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> but those experiences, I relate to them and they inspire me because they actually have for theme or exploration things that, that are, they exist outside of, of sound. It's kind of part of my artistic process to to do a little bit like like these exhibits and, and installations are doing like think about something that exists outside of sound and trying to build connections with your sound practices and, and such and for me personally things that really inspire me are a lot of things that exist in nature and to narrow it down a little bit i can say well, I've, I've been writing a little bit on my own blog about these kinds of topics. And I've been writing, for example, about time and space and the universe and the laws of physics. That doesn't narrow it down so much, but <laughs> let me try to make that a little bit more specific. I'm basically having fun trying to deconstruct some basic conceptions of the universe and the world around us, such as our idea of time in order to basically question the way that we perceive and interpret the world. I'm trying to expose our biases as human beings, like sensory biases, for example, and trying to unveil things that exist in nature that are really important in nature for a world to function, but that we're not necessarily sensitive to. And that kind of sheds light on like, oh, there is this one thing that we thought we knew everything about, but then it turns out it's only our human perceptions that's like tricking us into believing it works that way, but actually it works a completely different way. And it's kind of a revelation to think about all these other things that might be the same, you know, that we think it works a certain way, but actually it works a completely different way. So for me, it's like, it's, it's kind of both in a practical sense. So like raising, for example, environmental awareness and in a very poetic sense, like how poetic it is that, you know, we both understand and don't understand these things. And beyond the nature that is accessible to us, like on this planet and the nature that surrounds us is like everything that exists in the natural world outside of our reach, like out in the universe and in space. And I think it's very poetic and inspiring to think about the vastness of it all. And not only in terms of size, but in terms of complexity and how much 
we don't understand, but also how much we do understand. And it's, it's quite impressive to think about how we are able as humans to explain such like complex things. So reading books about astrophysics is a way for me to connect to like the greater nature that surrounds us. And it's very inspiring for me, the natural phenomenon at, at every scale. So both like the, the micro, the very tiny, and the macro. And so I try to translate that the kind of inspiration into thoughts about sound. Hmm. Do you have any examples of things that flips perceptions where you're like, oh, it works this way. Oh, no, wait, it's completely different. <laughs> well, time is a very good example. <laughs> because, you know, we have this very linear perception of time. And, you know, we are all synchronized on one clock on the entire Earth. And then to think that, you know, it's this time on Earth and the sun is here and the Earth is here. And that, this means that there is like an absolute sort of correlated point in time that, you know, this is the time on Mars, for example. And if it's like three o'clock in the afternoon here, then it's like three o'clock in, in a hypothetical afternoon on Mars. But actually time is affected by gravity. Time is affected by speed. There's no one linear time, you know, it's like to deconstruct this this perception of time that we have that is completely linear is opening up like a pandora's box of like actually you know the things that we see in the stars the thing that we see in the universe the light travels faster so this happened like many years ago so we actually don't see anything that's happening right now <laughs> and it's like yeah this this is one example <laughs> <laughs> that's super cool and it's it's a good thing to to see because there's a misconception I see with people who are getting into audio, sound, music, anything where they think your entire life has to be just about one thing and nothing else. But you're a good example of someone who you can have other interests, you can do other things, you can read about other stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're an artist, I think it's important to take inspiration from things around you, from things that, you know, yeah, that you relate to. That's just sort of a spark, some, some light into your, your brain, that, you know, to just create some connections and yeah i think it's the artistic process with all of these things like your whole artistic process how you've advanced do you listen differently now do you think of sound differently as you're working now differently differently than when when you first started maybe when you're just getting into it yeah i suppose i do i mean that's the but it's been like a progressive path into what I, how I listen now and maybe how I listen tomorrow won't be the same you know it's like it's very progressive and even you know things that I was inspired by this weekend in New York that I was at this uh, installation by Thomas Saracino I think he's from Argentina and he has this installation called uh, Particular Matters currently exhibited in New York and he's offering this like 10 minutes experience where people go and walk on a spider web it's made out of like iron cables uh, safe for humans but it's meant to replicate like a spider web and you're like 20 meters up in the air and the, the whole experience is about you feeling the vibrations in the spider web i stepped into the space uh, expecting like this audiovisual <laughs> presentation or something you know but you just lie there in the dark and feel the vibrations. And I was like, wow, you know, this is such a subtle, transformative experience. And all of these small things that I'm experiencing, like as, a, as an artist, like they influence how I listen. And this inspired me to explore things based on vibrations for things that I'm working on. So it's like, <laughs> it all matters, like the influences that you get every day. I think that I might read something tonight about 
the order of time and apply it into my sound practice or sound listening tomorrow. <laughs> That's awesome. Are there, are there any other things that you're really focused on learning right now on top of, you know, time and going into our, these art exhibits and getting inspiration? Are there other things you're learning? Well, uh, because of my time in Sweden, I've uh, started really being into mountaineering and climbing and skiing. I've always been into like outdoors and hiking, but I really took it to another level when I was in Sweden. I had access to the mountains there like I've never had before. So yeah, that's that's kind of an ongoing thing. I got into climbing. I went a few times in the Alps and I skied on glaciers. It was amazing. And that's all like kind of new experiences to me. So I'm, I'm becoming like really passionate about uh, taking it even further. So now that I'm back in Canada, I'm hoping to visit the West Coast, go to, you know, the Rockies and Vancouver and go skiing there, go in the mountains there and looking forward to it. Nice, nice. I love that getting in touch with nature. I'm sure the listening experiences there are something else than what you get day to day just walking around Montreal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, walking around in the, the fjell, they call it the fjell, the mountains in Sweden, especially in winter when it's covered in snow, it's actually incredibly quiet. But what inspired me then is what you see in the snow and the patterns and, and the witnessing this ecosystem this winter ecosystem that is so remote and it's something like you know winter becomes so much more than watching the snowflakes fall down out the window you know when you're home in the city like the snow becomes like it's like you'd, you'd need a hundred different words to describe snow just it's different shapes and different feels and different states and you know so definitely being in the mountains and and being exposed to different types of environments and different types of activities is very inspiring. Like I have this ongoing project that I would like to um, to finish eventually <laughs> that is about listening to winter and trying to sonify some of those snow states that I've been witnessing. So yeah, super inspiring. I love that. You've talked a lot about your inspirations and they're all so diverse. And I'm wondering who you hope to inspire through your work in any way. <laughs> well, when I started uh, getting into, I'm going to say sound art, not just game audio, but sound art, you know, I was very inspired by people or artists, like in a very diverse way, but definitely in, in game audio and, and outside of game audio, but people who were not limiting themselves, like with just game audio, like, okay, I'm going to make explosions or weapons, or, but they were exploring processes and inspirations that like were very unique and creative and, you know, things that, that only one person can think about, you know, it's like, oh, wow, you know, this is actually really inspiring. I want to not limit my inspiration. I want to explore different processes of creating sounds and creating art and apply it in my game audio path and career. So I guess I want to inspire people who are in the same position as I was, like people are getting into game audio or, or sound art, but like, I guess... Yeah, game game audio people who are trying to find their way and their own inspiration. And, and I want to tell them, like, you can definitely create things like that are super original and, you know, are out of sort of the beaten path and you think outside the box and all that. I want, I want to inspire those people to, to not limit themselves, I think. Mm. And in terms of your kind of sound, art, life and career, what do you feel is one of the best or just really, really good decisions you've ever made? Oh, that's easy. <laughs> Going to do a master's degree in Scotland. 
So when I was doing my undergrad, I was finishing my degree and I was, I had this, you know, part-time job with Vibe Avenue and I was debating with myself, just like, will I go into the master's? I wanted to do in the master's, but some people would tell me like, you know, like in the game audio industry, you don't need a master's degree. Uh, you should spend that time networking, <laughs> creating, uh, creating connections, uh, getting industry experiences. Uh, don't leave your local community. Like you and go to another country like you have to you know make your own name here where you're going to work but i just kind of decided to ignore all that because i wanted to do the masters just for fun because it was appealing to me it was like you know the masters was in sound design and it was everything sound design it was not just game audio quite the contrary it was a very tiny tiny little part about interactive sound environments not really games so it was people there from very different backgrounds. Some were theater, composition, uh, films, mixing, recording, like everything you can think of audio related. There was someone there that, with that kind of background. And I learned so much there, not only from the course itself, but from the people, from the cohort, from my co-students. And I made, you know, my best friends there. Like I made friends who still inspire me today in a way that I can't even put into words. So yeah, definitely like when you ask like, the best decision in terms of like my artistic process, this master's really expanded my horizons and made me a better sound designer, a better artist, and put me in contact with all of those inspirations, which I may or may not have found my way to, towards like if I had not done the master's, but this was definitely just throwing me into it and getting me in touch with those other topics that I'm passionate about today. Mm -hmm. You hit on something super important where it wasn't just the teachers, it was all the other people who are at your same level doing other things that really inspired you. So what would you tell someone who's, you know, maybe they're not in Scotland, maybe they're in this tiny town in the middle of nowhere, and they're like, oh, I don't have any of those people. What would you tell them and how to kind of get through that? Yeah, and especially now, I guess, in pandemic time, uh, people have not been as connected to others as usual. And I'm sure that many people have felt the difference and the impact that that has had on their development. And it's a really difficult question because, you know, when I was in Sweden during the pandemic, I definitely felt the difference. You know, there was no events happening. They, you know, I couldn't meet anyone in person, didn't go to any conferences. And even when we released It Takes Two, there was a bunch of, of conferences and presentation that we had to do uh, remote online. It's so different, so, so different to not be able to, to be there with the people. So the only advice I can give is, is do your best to try to stay connected. You know, there are, especially now that we had this challenge globally, there are, you know, platforms where you can connect with other people. No, it's not the same as connecting in person, but it's the next best thing if you can't have that. You know, social networks are, of course, a way, but uh, nowadays, you know, a lot of the presentations will be held uh, virtually. Uh, resources are online. So, yeah, you just kind of have to do your best. <laughs> and if it's any anything that's possible, like if you can actually do the occasional trip to the nearest big city to attend an event, you know, do it. It's totally worth it. Beautiful. And a question that I ask everybody at the end of this podcast is when you are first starting, whatever that is, it could be when you're first interested in sound or when you're doing music or anything like that. How did you define success and how has that changed over time and what is that definition now? Well, I think that that question was very unclear to me when I first started, like trying to answer is success like climbing the ladder? Is it 
you know, becoming more experienced, shipping a lot of titles and all that, or being spoken about, you know, uh, appearing in interviews and whatnot and presentations, uh, fame, <laughs> all that. But it, those were questions. It's not like I thought that was it, but, you know, you definitely see some people who stand out and you think, well, they are successful. So is that the definition of success? I don't think that I was never set on a real answer back then, but today, not quite set either, but I definitely don't think that the measure of success is that you're climbing a ladder or, or that you're doing any of those things. I think that if you find a way to stay connected with your passions and what you know inspires you in your work, and you're still every day on every project thinking uh, that you're giving it your best, that you, you enjoy what you do, and that you still feel creative and inspired, that you wake up in the morning and you have a sound to make and you might want to record something instead of taking a sound from a library, that's a success, you know, because you actually want to do it. You you care about it. So caring is success, I think. So if you're in a place where you actually care, you have fun with your team, that's gonna show in the in the in the game, in the project that you're actually creating. I love that. That's a really good answer. So last question before we wrap up, where can people find you? Plug anything you want. Yeah, so I have my own website, uh, ansoaudio.com. Uh, I'm on social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. Feel free to reach out. And what are your handles for all those? Okay, so Twitter is ansoaudio as well. So A-N-S-O audio. Instagram is anso.sound. I think ansoaudio was taken. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> and LinkedIn is my name, Anne-Sophie Monjo. And uh, yeah, the blog is ansoaudio.com. Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you so much. That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening as always. And considering I work in the world of video game, music, and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So, if you want to learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly forward slash soundbizpod. Sound, B-I-Z, pod. And that newsletter will set you up with two free courses and a bunch of free ebooks and even sound effects that'll get you set up and teach you how to work in the world of video game, music, and sound. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.